Chapter 6 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 6. It was late in the autumn when the travelers arrived at Odessa, whence they were to embark for Constantinople, in the neighborhood of which city they intended to pass the winter it must not be supposed that faulkner journeyed in the luxurious and troublesome style of a milord anglaise a caleche was his only carriage he had no attendant for himself and was often obliged to change the woman hired for the service of elizabeth the parisian with whom they commenced their journey was reduced to despair by the time they arrived at hamburg the german who replaced her was dismissed at stockholm the swede next tired became homesick at moscow and they arrived at odessa without any servant faulkner scarcely knew what to do being quite tired of the exactions caprices and repinings of each expatriated menial yet it was necessary that elizabeth should have a female attendant and on his arrival at odessa he immediately set on foot various inquiries to procure one several presented themselves who proved wholly unfit and faulkner was made angry by their extortionate demands and total incapacity at length a person was ushered in to him who looked who was english she was below the middle stature spare and upright in figure with a composed countenance and an appearance of tidiness and quiet that was quite novel and by no means unpleasing contrasted with the animated gestures loud voices and exaggerated protestations of the foreigners i hear sir she began that you are inquiring for an attendant to wait on miss faulkner during your journey to vienna i should be very glad if you would accept my services are your ladies made in any english family here asked faulkner i beg your pardon sir continued the little woman primly i am a governess i lived many years with a russian lady at st petersburg she brought me here and is gone and left me indeed exclaimed faulkner that seems a very unjust proceeding how did it happen on our arrival at odessa sir the lady who had no such notions before insisted on converting me to her church and because i refused she used me i may say very ill and hiring a greek girl left me here quite destitute it seems that you have the spirit of a martyr observed faulkner smiling i do not pretend to that she replied but i was born and brought up a protestant and i did not like to pretend to believe what i could not faulkner was pleased with the answer and looked more scrutinizingly on the applicant she was not ugly but slightly pitted with the smallpox and with insignificant features her mouth looked obstinate and her light gray eyes though very quick and intelligent yet from their smallness and the lids and brows being injured by the traces of the malady did not redeem her countenance from an entirely commonplace appearance which might not disgust but could not attract do you understand asked faulkner that i need a servant and not a governess i have no other attendant for my daughter and you must not be above waiting on her as she has been accustomed i can make no objection she replied my first wish is to get away from this place free from expense at vienna i can find a situation such as i have been accustomed to now i shall be very glad to reach germany safely in any creditable capacity 
and I shall be grateful to you, sir, if you do not consider my being destitute against me, but be willing to help a countrywoman in distress. There was a simplicity, though a hardiness, in her manner, and an entire want of pretension or affectation that pleased Faulkner. He inquired concerning her abilities as a governess, and began to feel that in that capacity also she might be useful to Elizabeth. He had been accustomed, on all convenient occasions, to hire a profusion of masters, but this desultory sort of teaching did not inculcate those habits of industry and daily application which it is the best aim of education to promote. At the same time, he much feared an improper female companion for the child, and had suffered a good deal of anxiety on account of the many changes he had been forced to make. He observed the lady before him narrowly. There was nothing prepossessing, but all seemed plain and unassuming, though formal. She was direct, her words few, her voice quiet and low, without being soft or constrained. He asked her what remuneration she would expect. She said that her present aim was to get to Vienna free of expense, and she did not expect much beyond. She had been accustomed to receive eighty pounds a year as governess, but as she was to serve Miss Faulkner as maid, she would only ask twenty. But as I wish you to act as both, said Faulkner, we must join the two sums, and I will pay you a hundred. A ray of pleasure actually for a second illuminated the little woman's face, while with an unaltered tone of voice she replied, I shall be very thankful, sir, if you think proper. You must, however, understand our conditions, said Faulkner. I talk of Vienna, but I travel for my pleasure with no fixed bourne or time. I am not going direct to Germany. I spend the winter at Constantinople. It may be that I shall linger in those parts. It may be that from Greece I shall cross to Italy. You must not insist on my taking you to Vienna. It is enough for your purpose, I suppose, if you reach a civilized part of the world and are comfortably situated till you find some other family going whither you desire. She was acquiescent. She insisted, however, with much formality, that he should make inquiries concerning her from several respectable families at Odessa. Otherwise, she said, he could not fitly recommend her to any other situation. Faulkner complied. Everyone spoke of her in high terms, lauding her integrity and kindness of heart. Miss Jervis is the best creature in the world, said the wife of the French consul. Only she is English to the core, so precise and formal and silent and quiet and cold. Nothing can persuade her to do what she does not think right. After being so shamefully deserted, she might have lived in my house or four or five others doing nothing, but she chose to have pupils and to earn money by teaching. This might have been merely for the sake of paying for her journey. But besides this, we discovered that she supports some poor relation in England, and while cast away here, she still remembered and sent remittances to one whom she thought in want. She has a heart of gold, though it does not shine." Pleased with this testimony, Faulkner thought himself fortunate in securing her services, at the same time that he feared he should find her presence a considerable encumbrance. A servant was a cipher, but a governess must receive attention. She was an equal who would perpetually form a third with him and Elizabeth. His reserve, his love of independence, and his regard for the feelings of another would be perpetually at war. To be obliged to talk when he wished to be silent, to listen to and answer frivolous remarks, 
to know that at all times a stranger was there all this seemed to him a gigantic evil but it vanished after a few days trial of their new companion's qualities whatever miss jervis latent virtues might be she thought that the chief among them was to be content to dwell in decencies for ever her ambition was to be impeachably correct in conduct it a little jarred with her notions to be in the house of a single gentleman but her desolate situation at odessa allowed her no choice and she tried to counterbalance the evil by seeing as little of her employer as possible brought up from childhood to her present occupation she was moulded to its very form and her thoughts never strayed beyond her theory of a good governess her methods were all straightforward pointing steadily to one undistinguished aim no freak of imagination ever led her out of one hard defined unerratic line she had no pretensions even in the innermost recess of her heart beyond her station to be diligent and conscientious in her task of teaching was the sole virtue to which she pretended and possessed of much good sense great integrity and untiring industry she succeeded beyond what could have been expected from one apparently so insignificant and taciturn she was at the beginning limited very narrowly in the exercise of any authority over her pupil she was obliged therefore to exert herself in winning influence instead of controlling by reprimands she took great pains to excite elizabeth to learn and once having gained her consent to apply to any particular study she kept her to it with patience and perseverance and the very zeal and diligence she displayed in teaching made elizabeth ashamed to repay her with an inattention that looked like ingratitude soon also curiosity and a love of knowledge developed themselves elizabeth's mind was of that high order which soon found something congenial in study the acquirement of new ideas the sense of order and afterward of power awoke a desire for improvement faulkner was a man of no common intellect but his education had been desultory and he had never lived with the learned and well-informed his mind was strong in its own elements but these lay scattered and somewhat chaotic his observation was keen and his imagination fervid but it was inborn uncultivated and unenriched by any vast stores of reading he was the very opposite of a pedant miss jervis was much of the latter but the two served to form elizabeth to something better than either she learned from faulkner the uses of learning from miss jervis she acquired the thoughts and experience of other men like all young and ardent minds which are capable of enthusiasm she found infinite delight in the pages of ancient history she read biography and speedily found models for herself whereby she measured her own thoughts and conduct rectifying her defects and aiming at that honor and generosity which made her heart beat and cheeks glow when narrated of others there was another very prominent distinction between faulkner and the governess it made a part of the system of the latter never to praise all that she tasked her pupil to do was a duty when not done it was a deplorable fault when executed the duty was fulfilled and she need not reproach herself that was all faulkner on the contrary fond and eager soon looked upon her as a prodigy and though reserved as far as his own emotions were concerned he made no secret of his almost adoration of elizabeth his praise was enthusiastic it brought tears into her eyes and yet strange to say it is doubtful whether she ever strived so eagerly or felt so satisfied with it 
as for the parsimonious expressions of bare satisfaction from miss jervis they excited two distinct sensations she loved her protector the more for his fervid approbation it was the crown of all his gifts she wept sometimes only to remember his ardent expressions of approbation but miss jervis inspired self-diffidence and with it a stronger desire for improvement thus the sensibility of her nature was cultivated while her conceit was checked to feel that to be meritorious with miss jervis was impossible not to be faulty was an ambitious aim she easily discovered that affection rather than discernment dictated the approbation of faulkner and loved him better but did not prize herself the more he indeed was transported by the progress she made like most self-educated or uneducated men he had a prodigious respect for learning and was easily deceived into thinking much of what was little he felt elated when he found elizabeth eager to recite the wonders recorded in history and to delineate the characters of ancient heroes narrating their achievements and quoting their sayings his imagination and keen spirit of observation were at the same time of the utmost use he analyzed with discrimination the actions of her favorites brought the experience of a mind full of passion and reflection to comment upon every subject and taught her to refer each maxim and boasted virtue to her own sentiments and situation thus to form a store of principle by which to direct her future life nor were there these more masculine studies the only lessons of mischievous needleworth entered into her plan of education as well as the careful inculcation of habits of neatness and order and thus elizabeth escaped for ever the danger she had hitherto run of wanting those feminine qualities without which every woman must be unhappy and to a certain degree unsexed the governess meanwhile was the most unobtrusive of human beings she never showed any propensity to incommode her employer by making him feel her presence seated in a corner of the carriage with a book in her hand she adopted the ghostly rule of never speaking except when spoken to when stopping at inns or when on arriving at constantinople they became stationary she was even less obtrusive at first faulkner had deemed it proper to ask her to accompany them in their excursions and drives but she was so alive to the impropriety of being seen with a gentleman with only a young child for their companion that she always preferred staying at home after ranging a beautiful landscape after enjoying the breezes of heaven and the sight of the finest views in the world when elizabeth returned she always found her governess sitting in the same place away from the window because when in london she had been told that it was not proper to look out of a window even though the sublimest objects of nature were spread for her view and employed on needlework or the study of some language that might hereafter serve to raise her in the class of governesses she had travelled over half the habitable globe and part of the uninhabited but she had never diverged from the prejudices and habits of home no gleam of imagination shed its golden hue over her drab-coloured mind whatever of sensibility existed to soften or dulcify she sedulously hid yet such was her serenity her justice her trustworthiness and total absence of pretension that it was impossible not to esteem and almost to like her the trio thus diverse in disposition yet by the force of a secret harmony never fell into discord miss jervis was valued and by elizabeth obeyed in all that concerned her vocation she therefore was satisfied 
Faulkner felt her use and gladly marked the good effects of application and knowledge on the character of his beloved ward. It was the molding of a block of Parian marble into a muse, all corners, all superfluous surface, all roughness departed. The intelligent, noble brow, the serious, inquiring eye, the mouth, seed of sensibility, all these were developed with new beauty as animated by the aspiring soul within. Her gentleness and sweetness increased with the cultivation of her mind. To be wise and good was her ambition, partly to please her beloved father, partly because her young mind perceived the uses and beauty of knowledge. If anything could have cured the rankling wounds of Faulkner's mind, it was the excellence of the young Elizabeth. Again and again he repeated to himself that, brought up among the worldly and cold, her noblest qualities would either have been destroyed or produced misery. In contributing to her happiness and goodness, he hoped to make some atonement for the past. There were many periods when remorse and regret and self-abhorrence held powerful sway over him. He was indeed, during the larger portion of his time, in the fullest sense of the word, miserable. Yet there were gleams of sunshine he had never hoped to experience again, and he readily gave way to this relief while he hoped that the worst of his pains were over. In this idea he was egregiously mistaken. He was allowed to repose for a few years, but the cry of blood was yet unanswered, the evil he had committed unatoned. Though they did not approach him, the consequences of his crime were full of venom and bitterness to others, and unawares and unexpectedly he was brought to view and feel the wretchedness of which he was the sole author. End of chapter 3